was Glenda Collins singing her cover produced and arranged by Joe Meek in the early 1960s of Thou Shalt Not Steal. This uh, begins a series of two uh, podcasts uh, on the biblical parable The Rich Man and Lazarus, sometimes known as Dives, The Rich Man in the ancient language, and Lazarus. I've gotten quite a bit of email uh, requests recently of, of people in former parishes that say, we wish you could do some more Bible study. We really miss a Thursday morning or a certain kind of preaching that you did. Um, and these are quite plaintive, uh, these um, uh, emails from people whom I love and respect from years past. So because this particular parable in Luke 16 has been in my mind and very much in my chilled and quaking heart, I thought I'd talk about it. And I'm going to talk about it with music that I happen to absolutely adore that's really odd, and I hope you'll really take it in and pursue it. Joe Meek, we've talked about in cast before, was an independent record producer in England in the 50s and 60s. And uh, what you find in his music is that he takes really what we might call lame teenage lyrics, mostly imported from the USA at the time, lame teenage uh, love songs or love ballads, and then he records them, and as it's as if they've been recorded on the planet Pluto, uh, huge amounts of reverberation in the vocals, uh, highly, I think the word is condensed um, sound, especially on the guitars. Uh, you'll hear uh, an example of that uh, at the end, and a kind of uh, also speeding up everything. He was once accused by Dennis O'Dell of the Honeycombs. Dennis said to Joe Meek, why do you have to speed everything up? And Joe Meek said, well, is, is there anything you can think of? that won't benefit from being sped up. And I thought to myself, what a remarkable and wonderful answer. And uh, Joe Meek, uh, just remember, these are great, great songs uh, which uh, take a very familiar uh, lyric uh, and record them on the planet Pluto. He also had the really sort of genius assistance of a guitarist named Richie Blackmore who later became very famous with a group called the Deep Purple and other... Uh, uh, um, forms and uh, Richie Blackmore's sudden, shocking, sharp guitar interventions are uh, a, a breath of uh, ice from the planet Pluto in the middle of these lyrics. But I also happen to like the lyric, Thou shalt not steal. That's what the good book says. Hey, 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 hey. And uh, we're going to hear uh, a lyric at the end that uh, exactly ties into this remarkable parable because I'd like to continue this theme of the necessity of coming to terms with your own unforeseen or, as it is rationally understood, um, foreseen uh, personal uh, mortality and death. And I'd like to do it by reading, um, remember, uh, Glenda Collins and Dick and Dee Dee in the original, I think, put us in mind of the, um, of, of the conscience, you know. Uh, you will always reap what you sow. There's a, what we might call it... Th- albeit on the planet Pluto, a moral dimension times nine. And in Luke 16, we have the story of um, the rich man uh, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died 
and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame." But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivedst thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And then um, Lazarus says a few other things. Um, which I'll talk about next week. And um, note that, uh, as Mary pointed out, uh, in hell, uh, the rich man, Dives, is still um, kind of, is still very much in his old uh, persona and temperament and character because he, he asks Abraham to send his former lackey. You might say, send uh, that character over there that he may come and be the emissary rather than addressing Lazarus directly or more powerfully addressing Abraham uh, in more specific terms. So this is sort of a C.S. Lewis um, great divorce uh, thing that, that uh, Lazarus is in his own uh, the rich man is in his own hell uh, because he's not ready to go to heaven. But that is true in the parable. Clearly, uh, clearly evident. I uh, uh, want to emphasize, however, that um, the uh, this is not all in his mind uh, that the uh, Rich man hears Father Abraham say these incredibly portentous words. Beside all this, verse 26, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Now, uh, that uh, parable, which you'll see in the movie and film uh, play Godspell, it's the most chilling of all Christ's parables. I um, have no uh, problem in accepting it as genuine to his ministry, although it sure doesn't sound like justification by faith. Um, but it is uh, horrifyingly vivid, and I have myself received empirical verification in my vision on the 29th of January of this year. I have no uh, question in ratifying it, although it's chilling. There's a wonderful story by Gerald Hurd, the English uh, mystical writer and uh, philosopher, uh, one of the, you know, one of the great, great voices of the last century, who um, wrote uh, supernatural short stories with a kind of mystical, um, uh, strong mystical element. And one of them, which you must read, is entitled Chapel of Ease, in which a very grim, uh, abandoned uh, Church of England chapel, though it turns out all his stories, by the way, are positive. They are all hopeful. It turns out there is, in fact, a Church of England clergyman looking after this chapel. And over this chapel, which is a kind of uh, entrance to hell, if I can quote the Sentinel, uh, 1983, uh, if I can quote the Sentinel, the chapel is a sort of entrance to hell in which those who have been hanged, drawn, and quartered for quartered for capital offenses in that part of England, and lepers, uh, murderers, uh, mass murderers, uh, it, it is where they are attempting to make some kind of contact with hope or peace from hell, and over the... Um, over the uh, tympanum of the uh, door to the church is a Norman um, 
Romanesque, uh, carved in stone um, uh, depiction of Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham and the rich man in the fires of hell. And Heard perceptively chose that grim parable. Now, why do I talk about this? It's because um, if you don't work on this now, it is too late. We have no evidence that there is uh, some kind of intermediate uh, state. You know, I believe there is. And there are... uh, the Catholic Church and others have often, uh, you know, there's a lot of comfort to be derived from the fact, and Buddhism, by the way, has Lombardo, that there is some hope that with the things done and the things left undone, if we haven't been shriven before our death foreseen or unforeseen, uh, there's hope because there has to be a way of kind of... uh, being washed white as snow after death because... uh, Heck of a lot of people go into that um, dark night um, kicking and screaming and without having done their homework, even in the best of cases. And that's why the Catholic Church is so very, very um, 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 emphasizing the uh, necessity of uh, confession and penance and absolution of mortal sin prior to receiving communion and being then in a state of grace. Now, Protestants, and I'm one, uh, have always... um, had enormous problems with that theoretically, but I don't have any problems with it in practice, or I have very few problems in practice because I'm also aware that these things are uh, absolutely uh, climbing at the door. And so my sole point here is that you uh, uh, take uh, as seriously as Bob Dylan did in the previous podcast, number 205, that you take as seriously as Bob Dylan did your own personal eschatology, your own um, uh, Jesus moment, your own talk, that this uh, be worked on. Toronto, there is absolutely no guarantee that a single person listening to this uh, podcast uh, will uh, see the following uh, morning. There's a high probability that most of you will, but there's a there's a 100 percent um, rate of mortality in the long run, and even in the best of cases, uh, the people who are most at peace are still almost all of them unwilling to um, take that step. This is why I'm very strongly against um, assisted suicide. I've gotten grief about that, and I just have to say it. I just have to say, you know, you can't say things today that you feel that are, quote, divisive. That's the word that people use to um, sort of distance and not take uh, into account your argument. If it's a divisive thing, they, there's a whole large constituents of people who won't listen. But you've got to listen about this. This is a, it sounds easy, but in light of uh, the uh, medific- medication we have for pain in most cases, and in light of the fact that actually most people who are considering assisted suicide are just a slightly more advanced group of the most people who are considering suicide because life is too hard and too difficult. And many, many, many people commit suicide. That is a mortal sin. Because, why is it? It's not... We all have pastoral compassion for people. I have felt like I wanted to commit... uh, I can remember nights when I was trying to figure out how could I commit suicide in such a way that no one would know it was suicide, especially my children, that they would not be laid uh, burdened with uh, a father who had committed suicide, but they would think that he had been killed uh, in a railroad accident or some kind of hitting a tree or, I mean, all the different 
different ways or a drowning accident. Um, how many times has uh, has have people tried to disguise the real motives behind their death, and it almost never works? See, uh, see that wonderful Fred McMurray uh, f- double indemnity. I mean, how many times have we tried to do this? So um, the. Uh, Barbara Stanwyck, it's a chilling movie. There's one scene that is, although it's old, it just gets right to you. The uh, meaning of this is that we, we're not our own boss, and the problem with suicide, and it's very understandable, and many people are doing it in different form, but um, it is making your own boss, and you can't do that. That is a deliberate turning away from what is absolutely true in life. You are not your own, and um, I simply say it because it's really important to say. It's not divisive. It's, it's compassionate. It's important because by making this a possibility for people and always making it easier and easier for those who just want to check out, you'll say, well, there are all these checks and balances. Well, in function, everybody sort of gets to a point where they want to do it, even if they don't fit the requirements. And inevitably, the laws and the practice will gradually allow for that uh, because it's happened in every other situation in the history of of, uh, judicial uh, creep. So um, this is important. I was watching um, Return of the Fly, which is a movie that really confirms the truth of life. I mean, when you're watching Return of the Fly that I think was 19, maybe 59 or 61 at the latest, you're in the territory of the, the truth about life. I mean, it is so wonderful. And of course, you know, so awful. But um, at that point, people were beginning to lose their hold a little bit in the late 50s on what in the 30s had been absolutely de rigueur. In the 30s, there always had to be a character in the Frankenstein movie or the Mad Scientist movie specifically said, you are handling things too deep for you. You have you are touching things that belong to God alone. No, you must not revivify a corpse, etc., etc. Just see The Walking Dead uh, from 1936 or any Frankenstein movie, particularly the original. Now, in the 50s, it sort of becomes a little bit, you know, you don't, the guy who's saying it doesn't, does he really believe it? It's as if they're sort of doffing their hat to something that's expiring because in Return of the Fly, Vincent Price, obviously not really believing his lines because he I don't think he really believed in the movie. It's not its best performance. He sort of walks through it. And at one point he said, somebody says, well, the Delambre family were terribly, were destroyed uh, by this uh, work they did to move uh, matter from one place to another and reassemble itself. And he says to the man, he says, yes, they were punished for doing things that no man has the right to do. But he doesn't say it as with conviction that I did. He kind of throws it off and it's kind of funny. That's a great movie. Now, the point being, what about your sense of this thing? I mean, if you just go along heedlessly because it's, you know, you can have another meal at the diner tomorrow and another phone call or another movie, you know. I mean, there's always another movie. I saw Billion Dollar Brain from 1966. I'd never seen it. I've been living my whole life wanting to see it because Francoise Dorliac is in it, her last movie. I'd never seen it and I found it thanks to those wonderful men, Chabon and Scott on Union Square. I got Billion Dollar Brain. It's really sort of terrible, and it's a very left-wing movie for its period. I mean, it is it is so left-wing, it's unbelievable. However, it's also very well done in certain ways, and it's very beautiful to look at with great sort of Finnish exteriors, and Mary and I have been in some of those exact spots. Even Poor Vu is in it, where the Anglican Lutheran Concordat was signed. Little did the people in Billion Dollar Brain realize that one of their sets would be where the Anglican Lutheran Concordat or dot was signed. But in any event, um, there's always a new movie. I mean, Billion Dollar Brain surfaced. I mean, I was actually able to see it. I'd never seen Return of the Fly. Have you? 
I mean, I've been wanting to see that forever. So there's always a new movie. Why not stick around? The point is there are things that are very, very important from your distant past, from your present past. These are not, these are sins of omission and commission. And whatever they are, they're hurts. They're enormous sufferings. They're great pains. And they absolutely have to be in some form or another um, uh, punctured, at least looked at, at least observed, at least recognized, so that Pope Francis can, in his infinite God-given um, uh, compassion, understand you, sympathize with you, and forgive you. That is absolutely important. Now, I conclude this short podcast with another um, amazing Joe Meek song in which he takes a, uh, a lyric that relates to this subject, I'm Just Too Late Now, and then he throws in um, a, uh, uh, a highly compressed uh, um, guitar solo, which isn't very good, and, um, but then uh, he has this sound effect at the beginning and the middle of the end that uh, is direct proof that this... Uh, was recorded directly under inspiration from God. And may it be said for you, thank you so much for listening, and God bless. I'm just too late now I missed a date now I've lost my mail Now I'm just too late I'm just too late now Now I'm just too late How, how could I be such a fool To miss a my Sunday joy Now she'll find somebody new And I'll be a lonely, lonely boy I'm just too late now Don't feel too great now Crossed up her slate Too late. Too late.